Well, if you want to get under my skin, all you got to do is say that I'm from Texas. That's something that really rubs me the wrong way. And I would imagine it would rub you the wrong way if somebody said you were from a place that you weren't really from, right? Especially if you don't like the place, okay? I know you're not supposed to mess with Texas, but when I was a freshman in high school, I was living here in Southern California, and my family moved out to Texas. And so you can imagine moving anywhere when you're a freshman in high school, right? When you're starting to become cool, when you're on the football <laughs> team, when the drama club, when people are finally starting to socially accept you for the first time in your life. And then you're moving to Texas from Southern California. Well, that wasn't something I was really excited about. Not to mention, I was going to this very cool public school here in California, and then I was going to this rinky-dink Christian school where the high school had 50 kids in it, where the kindergartners all the way to 12th grade went to the same school where we wore uniforms, and I'm, the pants I'm pretty sure were made out of a, a loose form of cardboard. It was not very exciting, and I was not happy to be there, but there was one guy who made this school awesome. Oh, and by the way, I was the valedictorian of my class at that high school. You'll be happy to know that. Yes, yes. I showed those other nine people what was up in my grade. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but the, the guy who really made this school work was uh, the principal of the school, and he was a man I'll never forget. His name was Bill Rare, and he was definitely a, a rare kind of guy. He would call himself my principal. That's how he always referred to himself. I'm your principal. One, because he was into cheesy puns, and two, because I've never forgotten how to spell principal ever since he told me that, which was really helpful. But he actually, even when I was a student, he treated me like I was somebody who could help. Like as he was trying to figure out what to do at the school, and as he was trying to make sure that the students most of all were in love with Jesus Christ, he would bring me in, and it was like we were working together. And so when I was a young man, a high schooler, and he's treating me like a mature human being, see, that made a real impact on me. Not only was he the principal of our high school, but he also led the worship at the church where my dad became a pastor there in San Antonio, Texas. So he would lead us in the singing, and we would have hymnals, and he'd be leading us in the singing. And when every, every Sunday night, when the last song was done, he would always say, he would look at all of us, and he would always say, Maranatha, and good night. And every Sunday night, you could count on it. You would wait for it. You would, you would yes, here it comes. Maranatha, like, like Jesus is going to come back soon. I hope he does. But if he doesn't, have a good night, everybody. That, that, that was Bill Rare. Well, one, one day, many years later, I got, a, I got a phone call that Bill Rare and his wife and his two precious daughters that I knew well, they were driving out there in Texas, and they got, you know, Texas is, everything's bigger in Texas, and they got all these little roads going to all these little towns, and there are a lot of times two-lane roads, and I always don't like those roads where um, basically they were... They were passing somebody, and this truck weaved out of control, and it smacked right into them. This semi-truck smacked into the car that four of them were in, and it killed all of them instantly. They just immediately died there on the back roads of Texas. And I went to the funeral for my friend, Bill Rare, and it was the most worshipful thing I had ever experienced at that point in my life. Everybody knew where Bill Rare was. Everybody knew where his wife was. In fact, it turned out that just before they died, she'd been sharing with her small group this prayer request that a lot of people knew about, that if we're not raptured, I, I just wish that we could die together as a family. So she was sharing that prayer request. In fact, their daughter, their youngest daughter, who I, who I knew well there at the church, uh, she had a blog, and, and the heading on her blog was Live Life to the Fullest. And she had this little quote on her blog, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift, so what are you going to do about it? And she wrote this on the day right before she died. She said, God is so, lots of O's, good, lots of O's. I am going on vacation and life couldn't be any better right now. Well, actually, yes, it could. Yes, it could. Because when these people who were so ready for the return of Jesus, when they died, immediately their souls were in the presence of the Lord and they were worshiping Jesus like they never had before. And I tell you that because I think that's a great review of what we're learning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Will you look at it with me? Grab your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
Because we've basically learned two things so far. One is that when Christians die, we don't need to be afraid about what happens to them because their soul goes to be with the Lord and they will be brought back with the Lord when he comes to get those of us who are alive and we're caught up with them in the clouds. So we've learned, one, that there's a resurrection for the dead, that those who die will live again, and then two, that some group of people, hopefully us, some group of people on the planet, is not going to die, but will go straight to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Let's read it together. We're concluding our series on this passage here this morning. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And remember, when it says asleep, it's referring to those Christians who have died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, raptured up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so... We will always be with the Lord. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So just in case you, you missed one of the last two Sundays, or just in case, you know, Sunday seems like it was a long time ago, the last time we did this, let's just review what we've learned so far with a couple of charts. The first thing we talked about was death, okay? If you want to just put this down on your notes, everybody is going to die. Now, when we die, immediately... Our body is here, inactive, but our soul immediately goes to one of two places, depending on your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning, your soul will immediately go to what we think of as heaven. That's pretty much the, the picture of heaven that a lot of times we have. A bunch of spirits, a bunch of souls up there in the clouds. Well, that's kind of where your soul will go when you die. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your soul will immediately go to this place called Hades, the storing place of the dead referred to throughout the scripture. And so what we see here is that death is a great revealer of where people are really at. Right now, we see a group of people, or even here at church, we've got you guys here at church this morning. Thanks so much for being here. Now, everybody here at church, we're all here together. Some people in this room have put their faith in Jesus Christ. You have a new life. You have an eternal kind of life. You have a relationship with God. Some people here in this room haven't done that yet. I have no idea which one you are or which one the person next to you is. It's not for me to know exactly who's saved and who's not. But when death happens, it will immediately be revealed where every person's soul is really at. And they will immediately go to one of two places. Now, now, what's going to happen, though, we learned, is there's a resurrection coming for all people. Everyone is going to be reunited with their body and a new and improved body. And everybody is going to have some kind of eternal life. Okay? Now, ultimately, the life that you want is going to be, for the Christian person, will be in this new Jerusalem. Okay? So our eternal existence is not souls in the clouds. We need to get that out of our mind. God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth with a city that comes down out of the new heavens onto the new earth called the new Jerusalem. And this city is so big, it goes from here to San Antonio, Texas. That's how big it is. Okay, This massive city that God's people are going to live in. It's going to be a very real, tangible place. It's going to be awesome. It's going to take all the best things that we know in life and be even better than what we've experienced so far. But then there's this other reality, um, which, we, which is what we refer to as hell, or if you wanted to get more technical, the lake of fire. And that's the place that we usually think of, where there's darkness and there's burning and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you can see why what we do here is so important, because if you were to die today, your soul is then set on one of those two paths, and it's revealed where you really are with Jesus Christ upon the moment of your death. Now, that was two weeks ago. 
Last week, we talked about a better option than death, I think, the, the one I'm voting for, I would prefer, to be raptured, okay? And that's what we want, is we want the rapture where we're caught up, it says here, to meet the Lord in the clouds. And from that moment, we're always with him. And so we tried to say that the rapture is not a what. The main question about rapture is not when, but the rapture is a what, my friends? Who? It's a who. It's the ecstatic joy and delight that you're going to have when you get to see Jesus Christ. The joy you'll have in the moment that you actually meet Jesus in a physical sense and you see him with your eyes and you're face to face with Jesus, that joy will supersede any joy you have known up to this point. That will be your best moment yet. Now, that the Christians, there's going to come a moment where the Christians are going up, okay? That's what the rapture is. Now, at that same exact time, and this is what we're going to get into in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you just look with your eyes there, you can see the heading, the day of the Lord. When the Christians go up, with God delivering us, Jesus delivering us from the wrath to come, well, at that point, there's going to be something called the day of the Lord that immediately begins, we believe here, at the same time as the rapture. And the day of the Lord is a time where judgment comes down. So one way that we could get to this place where souls are going to be divided is death is a way that every soul will be revealed to be either with Christ straight to, straight to heaven or to be not with Christ straight to Hades. But you can see there's coming a moment when it's also going to reveal where every soul is at. And there will be no more lukewarmness. You realize that's the biggest problem that we have in the church today, is there's so much lukewarmness. Because we can't tell who's really in love with Jesus, and who's just kind of deceived or not really in love with Jesus, they kind of sometimes get blended together, and it becomes this lukewarmness to where people even think that lukewarmness is just the way Christianity is. It's acceptable, see? But there's going to come a moment when, no, all the real Christians will be revealed going up to meet Jesus in the air. And then there will be others who will still be here, which will show they did not know Christ at that time. Now, maybe they might be able to get saved after that point. But you're now in a time in the world called the tribulation, the day of the Lord, where judgment is coming down from God upon this planet. That's what we've learned so far. Now today, all we want to do is focus in on verse 18. Everybody, look at verse 18. If you're going to be like, we're going to talk about this the whole time. Yeah, we're going to talk about this. This one little sentence here is the so that. It is the point. It is why we have this understanding. Okay? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we are not here teaching everybody information so that we could debate or we could ponder these future realities of death or rapture. No, there is something that we're supposed to do with this information, is that we are here at the church to encourage one another with what we have learned so far. So, therefore, in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4, there are many words that can be translated, therefore, uh, in, in the Greek language, and that is not one of the usual ones. I mean, you could even write in your Bible, or if you're taking notes, write this down. So that would be maybe the way that I would translate the Greek word there at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians 5.18. So that, okay? I'm telling you all of this about death and about the rapture. So that, the point of all of this teaching is that you will go and encourage one another with these words. But there would be this sense among us here at our church that Jesus is coming at any moment, and we would be excited about that. That would stir up our hearts, and I'd be talking to you about it, and you'd be talking to so-and-so about it, and this whole place would have this sense of electricity, this sense of anticipation that Jesus is coming back, and we're all so excited about it, we're stirring one another up, we're encouraging one another with this idea. And even if somebody died, even if we were to have a funeral here, because someone from our church died, no, it wouldn't be like this terrible thing. It would be this encouraging time of worship because we would realize about our brother or sister in Christ that they were in the presence of Jesus. And what better place could you possibly be, see? And so we're supposed to, we're supposed to act on this. This isn't information that we're giving you. This is activation. We're now saying, hey, here's some powerful truths. Let's go pump each other up. That's what we're saying. So here's the question of the morning. 
And I need everybody here to answer this. If we're going to be a biblical church, if we're going to be a group of people that God can really use to turn Huntington Beach and the surrounding area upside down, then we have got to encourage one another. So here's the question of the morning. Who do you encourage? That's the question. Who do you encourage? Who is getting more pumped up about Jesus coming back, more pumped up about being in his presence, with this idea of the rapture, who is benefiting from you? That's the question. Now, the question we're tempted to ask immediately when we hear something about encouragement is, yeah, who's encouraging me? That's right. Where are those people? Everybody goes to church, and they're looking for those encouraging people. You know who I'm talking about, right? You like to talk to them because they always pump you up. That's not what it says right here. It says, you. Who are you encouraging? Let's go encourage one another. Yeah, I hope somebody at this church is encouraging you back. But the question for you is not who's going to encourage me. It's who are you going to encourage? Go to Hebrews chapter 10. A couple of passages on encouragement, and they might sound familiar. But one thing maybe we've overlooked is how the knowledge that the rapture and the day of the Lord is coming at any moment. Like a thief in the night. If you come back next week, that's what we'll be talking about. The fact that at any moment we could be in the presence of Jesus or judgment could be coming down upon this earth, that's supposed to really change how we think about encouraging one another here at this church. Look at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Hopefully a familiar passage to you. Let's make sure everybody's on the same page. It says, let us consider, think about how to stir up one another to love and good works. So we're thinking about one another. We're getting to know each other. And we're going to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Now, here's a part to underline. Here's why it ties in with what we're talking about. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Day with a capital D. We're talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Christians go up, judgment comes down. That's what it means right there. So I'm supposed to be encouraging one another, and the closer I think we are to the rapture and the time of judgment that is coming upon this planet, the more I get motivated to encourage one another. Because this church is only open for a limited time, and I don't know how long I get to know you and how long I get to be an influence in your life. And so as the day is drawing near, and it's imminent, and it's soon, and the more I realize that this could be over at any moment, the more I care about the people around me. That's the response. I threw out this to a small group. I got to go to some of our home fellowship groups. Now, first of all, maybe you've heard somebody say HFG at this church. Who's heard somebody say HFG? I apologize for that. We Christians are terrible with our abbreviations, right? Like Compass Bible Church, immediately we want to start calling it CBC. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's just what we do. It's like we speak in this little tongue of abbreviations that nobody else can understand on the planet. I was like, hey, have you been to an HFG? I said this to somebody recently, and they're like, what's an HFG? And I'm like, I'm speaking Christianese. They don't understand, you know. So we have home fellowship groups. We have small groups. We have groups where we obey the one another's. That's probably what we should end up calling them, one another groups, which we would all turn into Ogs, you know what I mean? That's immediately what we would do, which is just, which is just, that's how we roll. But, but I was like, I was at some of these groups and I said to one of them, I said, Hey, if you knew that Jesus was coming back on Friday, and this was a couple days before Friday, right? And I said, if you knew he was coming back on Friday, what would you do? Like, let's actually put a time on it, which is heretical and we're not supposed to do, but let's just say he was coming back on Friday. How would that change? If you were really living like it was imminent, like it was soon, and immediately, what does everybody say? Well, I'd go talk to so-and-so. Well, I'd go talk to this person. Well, I'd go encourage them. Well, I'd try to go witness to my mom one more time. Well, that's how we're supposed to live every day, my friends, because the day is drawing near. And the more I'm aware that the day is drawing near, the more I want to encourage the people around me so they're ready and they don't miss it. That's why he called this encouragency. We made up a new word here this morning. You're here on the ground floor. This is going to be big, all right? We took encouragement, great word, and we took urgency, and we made encouragency, see? Anytime, powerful, anytime you're going to encourage someone, there needs to be a sense of urgency to it. 
We should never be thinking about a home fellowship group and thinking, well, if I don't make it this week, there will always be next week. No, at some point, my friends, there will not be next week. Maybe not for everybody in that small group. Maybe not for everybody in that small group. I mean, there, somebody might die by next week or the rapture could happen by next week. And small group could be pretty awkward next week when only half the group shows up because the rest of them are with Jesus and some of them are still here. And that's something we should actively think about. Something when we're encouraging one another, we should really be praying for so-and-so, considering them and thinking, are they ready to die or be raptured right now? That should be the critical question as we try to encourage one another. There's a sense of urgency to this. Go to Hebrews chapter 3, another passage that hopefully is familiar to us here at our church. Because this is what church really is. It's getting together, getting in relationship, and encouraging one another. And I guess I just got to take a moment right now to just have you pull out your bulletin, if you could do that real quick. And if you're not involved in a home fellowship group, that you can see the whole listing of what we've got going on right now. You can see we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 adult home fellowship groups going on at this church. That doesn't even count college and youth and kids ministry. We've got 11 different groups for adults going on every week. And I look around, I see some of you guys, you're a part of one of those groups, and I love that. That's where you're really getting to know people. That's where you're really encouraging one another. If you're not a part of one of these groups yet, we would love for you to come and encourage one another with these words that we've got. You can see we've got special events, like the women's event coming up, the Angels game, we're signing up and selling tickets for those in the lobby. There's special events, but we're talking about weekly getting together not with our chairs face forward, but get our chairs, turn them in a circle, get face to face, and encourage one another. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. It says, take care, brothers. Watch out. Be alert. Or look at this, brothers, is really how you could say it. Look at this, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. You see, that's, he, that verse just says, here's the reality of how church is going. we got a lot of people together who are all claiming to be Christians. Well, look at this. Not everybody might actually be in love with Jesus Christ in their heart. And so we got to watch out. Could there be people among us who right now are not ready to die or be raptured? Verse 13, so here's what we can do about it. Exhort one another, encourage one another, come alongside of one another. Look what it says here every day. Okay, so now it's, it's ramping it up, not just meeting together, but this is a way of life. And then notice this phrase, underline it, circle it, as long as it is called what? Today. At some point, it's not going to be called today anymore because it's going to be an eternal state where you don't have day and night, but the glory of Jesus shines all of the time. And so it's saying, encourage one another, and then it again refers to an eschatological, the end is coming kind of a vibe, and it says, encourage one another while you still have days, See? while there still is time. We only have a limited time to encourage one another before it is over. And then people will go to one of those two destinations for all of eternity and no amount of encouragement. Do you realize that's something we can't really do in heaven? We can't really encourage one another in heaven. Because we'll already be so pumped up about being in the presence of Jesus, you won't be able to get any more sanctified than you will be when you're perfect, my friends, right? I mean, that's the thing. You won't be able to get any more in love with Jesus than when you're 100% in love with Jesus. So we have a limited time. While it is called today, whose life are you making a difference in? Who's wanting to be a stronger Christian because you're right alongside of them, texting them, encouraging them, meeting with them, praying for them? Or who are you encouraging? And as you're encouraging and trying to get them to run, to love and do good deeds, it's being exposed that they don't really love and do good deeds. And maybe even though they know the truth about Christianity, the power of Jesus is not yet powerful and effective in their life. And you realize that this person is not ready for the rapture and death. And so you start to tell them the gospel and you start to encourage them in that way. Who are we all doing that with? That's what we're here to do right now. 
Now, there's a sense of urgency here. It's, people are going to fall away from the faith. So exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you want to see people go apostate and fall away from the faith in Jesus Christ? Does anybody here desire that for any person? Would you be happy if you heard that somebody in your home fellowship group was not coming back to this church anymore? In fact, they were even reconsidering Christianity. Is that something you'd want to hear from anybody? So it says, well, let's go encourage people now to prevent that from happening in the future. Like there's an emergency situation we're being called to respond to. Judgment is coming. Death is coming. People, even among us, are not ready. We need to take Action is what it's saying. Point number one, let's put it down like this. We need to encourage, like emergency, responders. We need to, we need to encourage, like a 911 call has been made, not for people's physical lives, but for people's spiritual lives. The souls of men and women are on the line, my friends. Now, how do you like your emergency responders, your policemen, your firefighters, Right? Your EMT, ambulance operators, how do you want them to respond when you dial 911? They put on the siren, right? I know it's inconvenient when you're driving and you're pulling out of the way, but do you want them just kind of obeying the speed limit? Do you want them just kind of, you know, chilling 10 and 2, you know, putting on their turn signal, you know, looking both ways? Or do you want to see a little pep in their step as they go, right? I mean, you're thinking, wow. An emergency, how much long does that person have until they what? Die. You better get there in time if you're going to save their life. Is that not a great analogy for what we're here to do, my friend? See? You see an accident on the freeway. Man, you can see some gnarly accidents on the freeway. You guys see what I'm talking about? Like we got multiple cars that no longer look like cars but hunks of metal. We got bodies in the road. And you got a couple of firefighters over there eating donuts and drinking coffee while there's blood on the pavement of the 405. How do you feel about that? Well, wouldn't that be a good description of church these days where we got a lot of people drinking donuts and a lot of... <laughs> drinking donuts. <laughs> we got a lot of people hanging out at church saying, hey having a good time, but souls of people are perishing right here among us. Are we doing anything about it? I mean, I mean, maybe one thing is you're thinking, well, I don't know exactly what I would say to somebody. How could I encourage somebody? If you are a Christian, you can encourage someone with your own testimony of loving Jesus and growing in Him. Always by your own example is a way that you can encourage someone. If you feel like, I don't know how to lead someone to the Lord, I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out this whole evangelism thing that I hear about, the gospel, repentance and faith, I'm not confident about that. Well, at least you could bring somebody to this service where they could hear the word of God preached, right? I mean, if you were really serious about learning how to do evangelism, we got evangelism training every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, you could come and learn how to do it. Like, I don't want anybody just putting on a firefighter's uniform or anybody just running around like they're an EMT. No, I want those people equipped. I want them trained. I want them alert. I want them focused. That's us. We're the encouragers in the church. And souls are on the line right now. Somebody here is maybe going to fall away soon here at our church. What are we doing to make sure that they're encouraged in their hearts? This, isn't a, this is a one another command. This isn't a man command for pastors or for some people in the church. This is everybody who's a Christian. We're supposed to encourage one another with the idea of the rapture of Jesus Christ. So I've got a friend who's encouraged me now for many years. Here's an example of what this encouragement could look like on a daily basis. Like that's emoji sanctification right there, my friends. You get all those clouds and those fingers pointing up, you feel pumped up all of a sudden, right? I got that last Sunday. I got that before I preached last Sunday. Man, it fired me up, you know. Then the little arrow soon, cute, you know what I mean? <laughs> this is a real text from, from one of my friends. You get that. I get texts from people, and they're like, are you ready? That's the text I get from somebody, right? I get, I get this one guy who sends me texts, snipe. That's, that's a he's snipe, and I know what that means because we talked about it before. It means, are you ready to share the gospel with somebody right now? Snipe. See, I love it. 
these texts are coming into me and it's making me think, am I ready right now to encourage somebody around me? We need to start sending a lot of texts like this. We need to start making a lot of phone calls like this. We need to have some breakfast, lunch, and dinners throughout the week like this where we encourage one another. Like there's a sense of time is running out and I want to make sure you're okay. And if you're okay, well, let's go make sure a few more people are okay because there's an emergency coming. It's called the day of the Lord and we need to be ready now. So I live with encouragency. Now go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and let's start thinking about the content of what would I say to encourage a Christian person. If I'm a Christian person and my friend is a Christian person and we believe that Jesus is coming back, okay? As it says, let's just review 17, that verse 17 that we looked at last week. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And now that's a beautiful thought. We thought about seeing Jesus, our love for Jesus, wanting to be with him. But then it says, encourage one another with these words. So let's try to take this even deeper now in our understanding of what is it going to be like for the Christian who is going about seemingly their ordinary life when all of a sudden they find themselves in the clouds seeing the glory of Jesus Christ with all the other Christian people that he has caught up to be in the air. What, let's just think about that like it's really going to happen. And how would I encourage someone else with that thought? You're going to see Jesus could be this week, could be very soon. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Let's, let's dive a little deeper. A few things we weren't able to get into last week. 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. And here's something that's been really encouraging me, and I've been trying to share it with people this week. Hopefully this will encourage you, and you can pass it on. First John chapter 3, let's start in verse 1. It says, again, it's trying to get you to look, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Wow, look at how God loves us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So that's one way to encourage somebody. Hey, are you a child of God based on your salvation in the past? Well, let's praise the Lord. But look at verse 2. Here's a different thought. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We don't know what we're going to be like in the future. But we know that when he appears, rapture, Jesus, in the clouds, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him, everyone who's got this hope set fully in the future grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. So the rapture, this idea of being caught up in seeing Jesus, that's just the beginning. Then it says, when we see him, we will be like him. What is Jesus like? What is Jesus like? One thing it says here is that Jesus is pure as he is pure. Here's a thought that I've been thinking about that I can't get out of my mind. From the moment I see Jesus, I will never sin again. From the moment I see Jesus, I will never sin again. Now I experience temptation to sin in multiple ways. Sometimes I feel like sinning. Anybody else ever feel like that here at this church? Anybody? Some of you guys are so sanctified, you're already in heaven. That's amazing. Anybody feel like you're tempted to sin? Do we have honest people at this church? Or are we fakes, right? It comes from within me. I didn't have to do anything. It's just there. There is a temptation to sin. Now, in the power of Jesus Christ, I can say no to that temptation, and yet I feel a temptation coming from within me to want to sin. Sometimes I'm just driving on the freeway, and I see something, or I hear something coming on the radio, or somebody, I'm in the presence of somebody, and they say something, and it can make me angry, or it can make me bitter or it could make me envious or jealous of somebody else and what they have or it could it could put some worldly thought in my head just at a moment from somebody from just trying to get groceries at the grocery store you're bombarded with so many things that all of a sudden could be tempting to you and this problem of temptation never seems to go away it comes from within it comes from without could you imagine waking up in the morning and that never happening to you my friend you wake up in the morning, and what do you feel like? 100% righteousness. That's what you feel like. 
You walk throughout your day, no matter what's happening. doesn't cause you to stumble. Think about the boldness you'll have. Think about the joy that you'll have. Think about what it would be like to live every day for the rest of eternity with a clear conscience, with no guilt, with no shame, knowing that you've done nothing wrong and there's no one who could accuse you of anything. You could experience that this week, my friend. You're going to experience that at any moment. When you're caught up in the clouds, you'll see Jesus. And from that moment on, you will never sin again. You couldn't do it if you wanted to, and you won't want to. That's where we're going. Now, that sounds good. If you tell me i got to fight temptation for the next 20 years, whoa, man, 20 years, I better pace myself. You know what I mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to give in to a few of those sins. 20 years of righteousness, that seems pretty hard. Hey, can you give me righteousness for the next 20 hours? Hey, can you stay on guard and be sharp and be ready, like, for the next 20 hours, like, the rest of today, could you do everything possible in your power and the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to not sin till you go to sleep tonight because Jesus could be coming back and then sin will be over forever. A lot of times we like to talk about, well, I'm a sinner. That's how I used to be. I used to live my entire life about sin. Here's what's encouraging. Start talking more about our new life, what it's fully going to be like, where we'll never sin again. You start thinking about how someday you're going to be perfect. I bet you'll try harder to be perfect right now. That's what we're saying here. If you have this hope that when you see him, you will be like him. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. Why? Because he is what? Pure. 100%. Holy. That's what we're going to experience in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. So that temptation, that struggle, that fight that you feel like is never going to go away. No, if you're in Jesus Christ, it's only for a limited time. Let's think about this for point number two. Let's encourage like sin is almost over. Let's encourage one another like this fight against sin is almost done. Now, that's an encouraging thought right there. Hey, I'm being tempted, brother. Somebody's texting you. They're calling you. You're having breakfast with a guy. Man, this is a real struggle for me. Well, not for much longer, my friend. Hopefully just a few more days you got to put up with saying no to that and fighting against that and asking God to deliver you from that. Our battle is, go- is already won and will soon be done. That's what this is saying here. No more Sin. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at another passage that's trying to set our mind on on heaven. You 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 ever heard this phrase before that someone's so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? Anybody ever heard that that phrase before? Uh, Maybe if you're one of those church people like me, you've heard that before. I don't even, I I haven't really seen that being a big problem for us these days. And in fact, the way I think it works is that heavenly-minded people are the most earthly good because they're the ones who get that souls are going to one of two destinations for all of eternity, and we got to address that right here, right now, and we only have a limited amount of time to do it. People who are thinking about the reality of heaven and hell, people who are thinking about being in the sinless presence of Jesus Christ, they're the people who are going to be encouraging a lot of people right now. They're going to be doing the most good on this planet. That's why Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, just look at this beautiful passage. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you've got this new life in Jesus, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Can you picture him there right now, seated at the right hand of the Father? Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Because you've died and your life is now hidden. What your life is really going to be like, it's hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, we don't even know. What it's saying here is you don't even fully know what it's like to have a Christian life yet. Because you haven't fully experienced what what this life is really going to look like when you get this new body, when you're made like Jesus. So set your mind on that. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, look at this last phrase. This might rub some of us the wrong way. 
then you will also appear with him in what? What does it say? You're going to appear with him in, say it. Glory. Glory. You appearing in glory. That's what that verse just said. Now that almost sounds a little bit heretical. What's the Bible doing being all heretical up in here? You know what I mean? Are we supposed to share glory with Jesus Christ or does all glory belong to Jesus Christ? That was a question. Question mark on the end of that. I know it's 9 o'clock service, but let's give 100%, right? I'm trying. Are all, are all of us going to, are we supposed to get any glory for ourselves? Let's just put it like that. That's simple. Is Jesus supposed to get all the glory from us? Does it say here we're going to share in his glory? Is that confusing to the two questions we just asked previously? Okay, see? Because in the future, we are going to be participants somehow in his glory. Now, trust me, whenever we have a reading about heaven, the focus is on Jesus and on worshiping him. It's not like we're going to be worshiping each other or ourselves. But Jesus, in the salvation that he purchased for us, invites us not only to experience, you know, freedom from the consequences of sin and eventually freedom from the presence of sin, but he wants us to experience his own glory with him, it says. We will share in it. Can you imagine that, my friends? I mean, there's some weird passages, like 1 Peter 1 is another one that you could write down, verses 8 and 9 that we looked at last week, where when it starts to talk about the glory that's going to come at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, if you really technically look at it, it's referring to our glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we are glorified is a way that we sometimes say it. You will be glorified, made like Jesus. One, sinless. Two, experiencing the glory of God in some kind of real way. That's powerful. Okay? Now, I don't know what you're doing the rest of the day. Going to go watch some basketball. Going to go hang out with your family. Going to go enjoy God's beautiful creation we got here in Huntington Beach. I don't know what you're going to do for the rest of the day. But I guarantee you, it's not as good as sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ. Okay? I guarantee you. You're going to Disneyland. I don't know. Going to see the White House. I don't know what you're doing. All right? But it ain't as good as basking in the sinless perfection and unending worship of our Lord Jesus Christ revealed in his full power and awesomeness. And you will have that someday. So much, you will be such a part of it, you will share in it, it says. Now, is anybody a little bit, slightly, feeling teensily encouraged here this morning, just thinking about these things. Anybody here? Okay. Well, here's what we do. Because Monday comes, and, and we got to go to work, and we got to get the kids to school, and we got to pay bills, and somebody at the house is sick, and there's no more milk in the fridge. Anybody ever have that problem? And all of a sudden, life happens, right? And what we need to do is we need to look at one another. We need to get to know each other well enough to be able to look at one another, whether it's text, phone call, my favorite, face-to-face. -face. And we need to say, hey, do you still remember that sin is almost over? Hey, do you still remember that very soon, who knows how soon, you're going to be sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ? Hey, does it really matter if we don't have any milk in the fridge right now? See? Sometimes the milk not being in the fridge becomes a pretty big deal. Because our perspective gets a little off, okay? And that's why we need each other. Every single person here. You need people to encourage you. And let me tell you this. There was someone here at this church that needs your encouragement right now. Right now. They need it bad. And if you don't encourage them, they won't be ready. They'll start living like it's not coming. They'll start living this joyless, down and out Christian life. Or even worse, they'll be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and they'll start to tolerate it in their life and they'll go back to being their old self. If we don't encourage one another. Hey, we've learned some cool things about what's going to happen after you die. We've learned some awesome things about Jesus coming to rapture his people and we've learned these things so that you can encourage one another. We can encourage one another here at this church. Every day, as long as it is called today, as we see the capital D day drawing near, we got to get in there in the trenches with one another. I mean, we got to care about people here at this church. We have to care about their souls. 
And I hope you're a part of that. I hope this will inspire you when you don't feel like going to your HFG, your home fellowship group. I hope you'll go when you don't feel like going. And maybe some of you guys are like, I'm not sure I need a home fellowship group. Yeah, well, that home fellowship group needs you. That's the truth. They need you. It's not just for you to think, what am I going to benefit from that group? No, the way we're supposed to think about it is, who can I benefit in that group? Don't ask, what can my small group do for me? Ask, my friends, what can you do for your small group? That's what the Bible's commanding us. So I want to be the kind of church where if people described us, they would say, you know, those people over there at Compass, you know, their compass, it seems to point to this thing that they think is coming at any time. They think, they just, it's like they're waiting for Jesus to come. They think he rose from the dead. They think he's at the right hand of God, and they're just waiting for him to return, to deliver them from the wrath that is coming. Hey, that would be a good description of a church, don't you think? That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, and that's something that we can experience here together right now in the limited amount of time that we have before we're all gone. And that's what I want to do. And I hope you want to be a part of that too. And it starts with you this week saying, I'm going to encourage somebody here in this church. Somebody in this church is going to live this week like the rapture of Jesus is going to happen this week because I'm going to encourage them to think that way. Show me a group of people who are living like emergency responders to other people's souls because death and the rapture are imminent, coming at any moment. That will be a church where you will see Jesus do great work. And I want to I experience that with you guys. So we're going to take communion. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We, we're wrapping up our series on the rapture. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11 describes this, this ordinance that we take very seriously, um, which we refer to as communion or the Lord's Supper. And Jesus gives this instruction that we're supposed to break some bread, we're supposed to have a cup, and when we take the bread, we remember his body sacrificed for us on the cross. And when we take the, uh, the cup, we remember his blood spilled out for us there. The precious, righteous blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sins and makes us righteous. Right now, we're righteous by faith. We're becoming more righteous as we grow in our sanctification. And someday you will be, if you are in Christ, 100% righteous. That's the blood that makes that all possible. And so when we take these elements, we remember what Jesus has done for us. But look at what it says at the end of this passage on the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he what? Until he comes. So I hope, my friends, for your sake and for my sake, that this is the last communion we ever take together here at Compass Bible Church. Okay? And I hope that we will, as we take these elements and as we remember the past and what Jesus has done for us, that we will all cons also consider that soon and very soon I will see Jesus Christ and I will be with him. So let me pray and then we'll take this communion together. God, we thank you so much for the encouragement of the idea of the rapture that we've been learning about, that we will be caught up and meet Jesus in the clouds. And God, I pray that we will be obedient Christians, that we will show our love for you by encouraging one another with this idea that we've been learning about. God, I pray that we will be meeting together, that we'll be encouraging one another every day, knowing that we only have a limited amount of time and we want to make sure that everyone's soul is ready. We want that encouragement to spread to even more people. God, and let us be encouraging others because of the encouragement that we have. God, and how could we not be encouraged? No matter what's going on in our life right now, I know many are going through trials and relationship challenges, financial difficulties. But God, when we consider that Jesus Christ shed his perfect blood for our sins so that we could be forgiven completely, when we consider that Jesus Christ lived a 100% perfect life that gets imputed to us so you don't see our sin anymore, but you declare us righteous in your presence. And how could we not be encouraged when we think about that Jesus is coming again to get us so we will be with him and we'll be sinless and we'll share in his glory. 
God, let us be encouraged by Jesus Christ so that we can encourage others and use this time of communion to encourage our hearts now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start passing right now the bread and the cup and just take those, hold on to those. We'll do it all together. And this is for Christians. So if you know right now that you are not a Christian or if you're in sin here this morning, you know things aren't right between you and God, I would encourage you just let this pass and use this time to pray or to think uh, to yourself. So we'll come back together and take this together. Let's take this bread and this cup and let us do this in remembrance of Jesus proclaiming that he is coming soon. God, we do say to you this morning, Maranatha, O Lord, come. And we're encouraged that Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. God, I pray that we will encourage one another with those words of Jesus. God, it's so easy for us. We just confess to you our, our frailty and our weakness, that it's so easy for us to be tempted by sin, so easy for us to get down and get caught up in all the things that are going on in the here and now. God, let us come alongside of one another, whether it's a text or a phone call or getting together. God, let us encourage one another that Jesus is coming soon. It's going to be so worth it when we see him, when we're made like him, when sin is no longer even something we can do. And we get to not only see his glory, but experience it, to share in it, to worship him in a pure and undistracted way. God, encourage our hearts this morning and then use us to be encouragers of one another here at this church, God. And let many souls who might now not be ready be turned around and put their faith in Jesus. And may he come soon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand.